Joshua, the second chapter. I've got several passages I want to read to you this morning. And then we're going to pray. Joshua, the second chapter, verse 8. They've just come preparing to cross over. They've sent out spies into the land, Canaan land. Then it says here in verse 8, And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have all heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And then turn to Joshua, the fifth chapter, verse 1. Now what we just read there, the spies come into the land, they're checking it out. There's two of them. They end up at Jericho. They go into the house of Rahab, who's a prostitute. Okay? She's a prostitute. They end up in her house, and she gives, provides them shelter, and then allows them a way of escape. But during the conversation that she begins to hap- that begins to happen, these two spies find out something in the minds and hearts of the people that were there in Jericho. But now the Joshua having this report, a procession with that, that is with the ark, those carrying the ark, the priests are carrying the ark. They step into the water of the Jordan. God holds back the waters of the Jordan and the whole nation of Israel crosses over onto dry land into the promise that God had given them. There were still giants to face. There were still walls to tear down. There were still things that had to happen. But they were crossing over and it was a miracle procession. God was leading the way and they were going to win the battle if they trusted in the Lord. As they walk over on dry ground, and as the miracles begin to happen, right then and there, word gets out. And here's the word that comes out in Joshua, the fifth chapter. Listen to what the enemy is saying. This is the enemy talking. Okay, Listen to what's happening to them. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, And all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore 
Because the children of God. Hmm. If you would turn to Genesis, the 50th chapter. Hopefully you're familiar with Joshua. Again, I'm not reading very much. I'm just reading a few verses. Genesis, the 50th chapter, verses 19 and 20. Joseph has gone through. His brothers tried to kill him first. Then they decided to sell him into slavery through all this evil that had gone on. Uh, Joseph ends up uh, the a slave in a house. And then finally, because of false accusations, ends up in prison. But through that, uh, some dreams that were interpreted, all of a sudden Joseph is elevated to second in command over Egypt. And because of what happened in Joseph's life, because of God's faithfulness in Joseph's life, and I would even suggest to you, because of the faithfulness of Joseph to remember who he was and to stand firm in the principles that God had given him, because of that, he was able to be put in second in command and save his father and all his brothers, even his brothers who had put him in that pit and sold him off into slavery, he saved them all. But at the end, when Jacob has died, Joseph begins to speak to his brothers. His brothers are nervous. They're a little scared. Wait a minute. Now that our father is dead, Joseph's going to take out vengeance on us because of what we did to him so long ago. But listen, here's, here's the words that Joseph speaks to his brothers as they come to him with this fear of him retaliating. Joseph said, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear not, I will nourish you and your little one, and spake kindly unto them. That was actually verse 21. A couple more verses. I want you to remember that. I'm just asking you for just a moment, if you would. Just take that story of Joshua and just stick it up on your shelf right by you. Just mentally, just reserve that little spot. Remember what the enemy said about God's anointed and how even before they got to the battle, the enemy... Now, they didn't know it, but God was already working. Remember, you put that onto the side. God's already working. Look at Joseph and how God provided a way to save the family. Now put that over to the side, but I'm going to refer to it in just a little bit. Now Judges, if you would. Judges, the 7th chapter, verses 12 through 14. Gideon. He's this man from a small tribe. Doesn't really think highly of himself. As a matter of fact, our first vision of Gideon is him hiding behind a wine press trying to do the best he can to winnow wheat, which, you, which really you can't do the way he was doing. I mean, he was trying his best because he couldn't do it out in the open. You needed to do it in the open. He needed to have a nice breeze where he could shake the, the, the wheat and the chaff would fall into one pile and the wheat would fall into another. But here he is hiding behind a wine press when the Lord finds him and speaks a word, O mighty man of valor. 
Doesn't look that mighty. But God is going to use him to lead Israel. He's one of the judges that God's going to use to lead Israel to freedom because of the bondage they found themselves in. And so here we are, 12th chapter. I mean, sorry, 7th chapter, verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. I want to stop right there for just a second. Gideon goes down to the battle. He's got 300 men. God actually has them narrow it down to 300 men. They look out over this valley, and this enemy is huge, massive. It says they look like grasshoppers for multitude. I mean, it was just so vast, the, the area that they covered. It was huge. And God says, you want, a, you want a little confirmation of what I'm doing? He said, why don't you just go into the camp, and, and I'll show you. And so Gideon sneaks into the camp at night, and that's where we end up right here in this passage that I'm reading. He sneaks into this camp, and he overhears a conversation of some of the men in their tent before they're going to bed. And this is their conversation. And behold, this is the, he says, I'm going to start back over, verse 13. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand God delivered all the host. This is the enemy speaking a word, showing exactly. Now Gideon's just hiding behind the tents, listening in on this conversation, and here he's hearing someone tell them, God is going to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. How? Through Gideon and his sword. Wow. One last passage. <clears throat> One last passage. Daniel. Chapter 10. We're just going to read verse 12. But one more just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at. Daniel is older. King's, it's the year that King Cyrus of Persia has, has uh, um, uh, come to power. And Daniel begins to pray and he realizes... Because Now, this is important. He realizes because of a prophecy in Isaiah that Cyrus would be the king. And Daniel's lived 70 years. He was brought as a young boy into captivity. You remember that from the early, early part where they, didn't, they chose not to eat all the vegetables, I mean, the, all the meats and delicacies of the, of the king, but they just ate basically vegetables and, and things that weren't really that you know, tasty, but yet God sustained them even though they weren't eating all the nice things the king gave. Well, he was really young back then, but now he's an older man. And 70 years has almost come to pass, and Daniel begins to see 
that God's promise is about to, to happen. God's promise to deliver Israel out of this bondage, the 70 years of captivity is about to be taken care of. And he kneels down and he begins to pray. And he prays and he prays and he prays. And in this time of prayer and fasting, he goes for 21 days praying and fasting. And then all of a sudden he gets interrupted in the middle of one of his prayers. Mm. And here's the voice of the angel that speaks to Daniel. Then, he, then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day thou didst set thine heart to understand and to cast thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I'm going to read verse 13. I think you need to hear it. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. Talk about some spiritual warfare going on. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just pray right now for those men in Louisiana. I just pray right now, Lord God, that You would be comforting the families, the lives, Lord, of these men. I pray, Lord, that they would just recognize that You are there even in the midst of a broken and fallen world. That, Lord, that even though there is corruption, that, Lord God, even though there is darkness, this world has seen a great light We've seen the light of Almighty God. We've seen the light of the world. And we just thank You, Father God, that You would just birth forth in light. I pray over the churches in Baton Rouge. I pray that this would be a rally point, a battle cry, Lord, that would stir up their hearts and minds, that they would be the best they've ever been for the glory of God, that they would be able to minister to these officers that they would be able to minister to people in that community. I pray for walls to be broken down, Lord God. I pray that Your mercy and grace would be poured out over that place. I pray for the healing of these men that are injured. I pray that their bodies will be healed, but not just healed, but healed in such a way that they will look to heaven and give glory to God. That they will recognize that it was none other than Christ Jesus who it was able to heal them. And we just praise You for that, Father. I thank You for Your Word. And that, Lord, no matter what, even before we step into a battle, You've already been putting pieces together. You've already been working on parts. You've already been doing things, Lord, that would prepare us for a situation. You've already been preparing us for a miracle in advance. And I just thank You right now, Lord God, 
that miracles preside where the presence of God is. That miracles preside in the praises of your people. That the miracles are in this house today because where two or three are gathered together in your name. There you are in the midst of us. I just thank you, Father God, that you walk these aisles today. And that you are ready to save and heal and perform miracles for the glory of God. We just thank you, Father, right now. Prepare our hearts. Help me decrease. And you increase. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Mm. I heard this statement a while back. We were actually, it was a, a minister. He said his son went to a passage in Joshua. And this is his son. He's not a minister. He's in college. But actually what, what struck, to me, it was struck me at that moment when the pastor asked him was a little bit of parenting advice. I thought it was pretty cool the relationship he had. He calls his boy. He has several kids. And he calls his boys in college. And he always asks him this question, where are you at in the Word? Where are you at in the Word? Just asking his boy, hey, what you been reading in, in God's Holy Word? What have you been bringing in? What have you been pouring in? And so, he looks at that passage and he says, well, Dad, I was reading, I was reading this passage in Joshua where they're about to fight. And he says, I can't imagine that they weren't just, they must have been scared, even terrified. That they were about to go and face giants, face walls that were so huge. The, the histories tell us that the walls of Jericho were so large that they could race chariots side by side on them, on the tops of their walls. That's pretty big. And they're about to face this. And he said, I can imagine the type of anxiety and fear that might have started rising up in them. But he said, when those two spies end up at, at this prostitute's house, asking her about the land, suddenly she reveals something to them that they hadn't expected. That the enemy, their heart is literally failing them for fear. You see, 40 years earlier, they had crossed over in e from Egypt. They had crossed over into the wilderness. 40 years earlier, and word had gotten out that they had crossed over on dry land. Word had gotten out that God had put plagues on Pharaoh and all the house of Egypt. Word had gotten out that they were literally, that God had delivered them out of the hand. And so something that happened, let me remind you, something that happened to their parents and grandparents. Because not a single one of them, save Joshua and Caleb, walked out of Egypt. Remember, every single one of them, tw uh, over 20 years of old uh, age, every single one of them. So every one of these guys that are walking now out of there are all... Younger, they were young, many of them not even born when they crossed through Egypt. It was their parents and grandparents that had actually crossed over that dry ground. And so they're standing there, and I don't even know that they recognized 
the issues going on, but God had already been working. And for 40 years, word had gotten out. And it didn't matter how big the walls were, they weren't big enough. They weren't, they weren't even close to being able to hold back the Almighty God. They weren't even, they weren't even uh, nearly as big to be able... How big a wall can you build to keep God out? Ain't happening. You can't build them big enough. You can't build them tall enough that you can keep God out of it. As a matter of fact, God was going to lay them down flat. God was going to crush those walls. But the children of Israel didn't realize that until they got a glimpse of what was happening in the battle. Just like in the book of Judges. Same thing happening with Gideon. Gideon, man, I'll tell you what, he's already looking back saying, what is going on? What's happening in this situation? I mean, is God going to deliver us in this situation from this vast, vast army? How's God going to deliver us? But yet God had already been working. God had already been getting the rumors across into the people, into the enemy, and already telling him and, and then saturating them and already letting them know that he did it with a dream. With just a dream in one person's mind, God sows a seed of doubt in the enemy to let them know. He sows a seed of doubt in the enemy to let them know, I'm coming. And you can't do anything to stop it. <laughs> Amen? His boy, the pastor's boy, said to him, Dad, this is what I got from it. God is always doing so much more than you think He is. God is always doing so much more than you think He is. I want to say that one more time. God is always doing so much more than you think He is. I was thinking of the phrase, kind of sums it up, how we have to live and how really, how they had to live at that moment. And it was this, let go and let God. Anybody ever heard that? That old saying, let go and let God. And that's where we end up today, is you have to let go and let God. Sometimes all you got, you, you are trying to fight your own battles. You are trying to win a war and you cannot win it. But if you'll just let go of it and say, God, the battle's yours. You just begin to praise Him. You just begin to worship Him. Look how they defeated Jericho. Marching around the city. All they did was begin to praise the Lord. Amen? They begin to praise the Lord. Can I have you say it with me? I'm going to say let go. You say let God. Let go. Let God. Let go. Let God. Yeah, wasn't that fun? I like doing that. It was good. Yeah. You know what? Because that's the only way is sometimes in your marriage, you've been trying to hold on to your marriage so long. You've been trying to keep your marriage together. You've been trying to... But it's what God has put together, not you. How do you think you're going to hold something together when it's God who was the glue that put it together in the first place? You can't hold it together, but God can. So you have, sometimes you have to let go and let God. Amen. Sometimes you have to let go and let God. And maybe you're going out and maybe your job. When your husband goes out and he goes to fight fires, all you can do is let go and let God. 
When, when our officers strap on their belt and put on their shield and they walk out, all they can do is let go and let God. Amen. There is nothing that you can... You don't know what tomorrow brings. You don't know what a day may hold. You know, none of us are promised tomorrow. We may walk out of here and hear the trumpet sound and praise Jesus if it does. I'm ready. I'm excited. I want to see heaven. I can't wait for glory to come. But none of us are promised tomorrow. We may step out of here and walk out these doors and, and you know, our life may, may just end in a moment. I'm not trying to be bleak or anything like that, but that's just how life is. That's the life we live in. And so, but, but you know what? I can give it to God right now. I can tell God, hey God, you've got this. You've got my life. It belongs to you. See, you can walk around with the confidence that Joseph had, the kind of confidence that Joseph had that said, you know what? I know what God has done in my life. And though he's, I mean, literally, whether I'm in the pit, or whether I'm in the prison, or whether I'm in the palace, I'm going to let go and let God. Yeah. Because Joseph had no control. He had no control. Think about it. He had no control. When he was down in that pit, his brothers could have killed him. He had no control over it. He was helpless. He could not get out of it. When they sold him into slavery, he had no control. He was bound up and taken somewhere he did not want to go. I I guarantee you, Joseph wasn't thinking at that moment, this is great. God is going to send me to the palace. I'm going to be married to a beautiful woman in Egypt. And we're going to have beautiful kids that are going to grow up to be godly men. And man, I mean, this is in, I, I am so glad my brothers threw me in this pit. I am so glad that they sold me into slavery. I am so glad that they stripped me of my father's coat that he had given me. And, and I'm so glad they testified to my father that I had died. Man, praise Jesus. Anybody in the house excited about that? Doesn't that sound like a great testimony service? Sometimes I've heard testimonies like that. I mean, yeah. you, know, you think, oh boy, someone's starting to testify. And they just tell you, well, you know, man, I got thrown in a pit. But God's good. And I got sold into slavery. It's alright. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it through. You know what? I'm not going to just make it through this life. I'm going to go in glory. I'm going to walk in victory like Joseph walked. Isn't it amazing? He didn't let his circumstance or situation cause him to walk with his head low. As a matter of fact, when he got to Potiphar's house and he was imprisoned there in the house, he was a servant, he was a slave, he was literally, his dad had honored him, and now he finds himself in Potiphar's house and he is a a servant, he's a slave. But what does he do? He walks with integrity and honor and he glorifies God in his slavery. He's not walking around thinking to himself, woe is me, look where God has put me. No, he's thinking every single place I walk. I think he just maybe got a little bit from his grandfather, Abraham. He said, every single place my feet tread, God has already given it to me. I think maybe he got a glimpse of the promise that his father Abraham said. He said, you know what? There's nowhere I can go. There's nowhere I can walk. 
that, that God isn't with me and if He's put me in this place and He's bound me up and He's going to shackle me, then I'm going to walk in glory. I'm going to testify of Jesus Christ. I'm going to allow God to speak through me and use me. I'm going to walk with my head held up high. It doesn't matter what kind of situations you're going through. You can let go. And let God. You can. You can. Why? Oh, listen to this. He gets there, and, and, and his Potiphar's wife gets an eye for Joseph. Cute little Joey. There he is. Yeah. She's probably winking at him. All kinds of... But Joseph knew who he was in God. And it didn't matter that he was a servant in God's house. He knew how to walk. And you know, sometimes that's exactly what we've got to do. Is we've got to say, you know what, God? I don't care what... See, Joseph could have taken... Joseph could have said, you know what? This is it. This is how I'll be blessed. I'll run off with this beautiful woman of Potiphar's. You know, obviously, I'll run off with... I'll, we'll we'll have, make a life for ourselves together. I'll, I won't be a slave anymore in Potiphar's house. I'll just go live with her and everything will be bliss. And every, Let me tell you something. You will never find happiness in this marriage, the next marriage, or the one to come until you've given everything over to God and your mate has to. That's the only way that you're going to find happiness in marriage. And let me tell you, it's not really the kind of happiness that you're expecting. It's the kind of joy that only God can give so that, so that literally every single day of your marriage, you can walk with confidence that, you know what, my, my family, my husband, my, my wife, whoever, they belong to God. They are God's and I'm going to treat them like God wants me to treat them. That's, that's, I'm telling you. It's not condemnation. If, if you've gone down paths, if you've gone through divorce, if you've been... That's not what I'm saying. I hope you're not getting that message. What I am telling you is wherever you're at right now, give it to God. Let go and let God. Because I'll guarantee you, if Joseph had decided, hey, let me go ahead and I'll just have a, a momentary uh, you know, affair with this woman. I mean, obviously she likes me. Maybe, maybe it's right. You know, Obviously God's not looking too well on me. He must not really care much about me. He left me in a pit. He sold me into slavery. Yeah. But no, Joseph knew that God had him. Yeah. And he couldn't see all the pieces put together, but God had him right where He wanted him. Had Joseph compromised, God would have had to find a different way. I think he still would have saved Egypt. But had Joseph compromised, he'd have had to find a different way. But Joseph wasn't about to compromise. He knew that these momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to a weight of glory in Christ Jesus. They are nothing. These momentary things that we go through, they're nothing. And he also recognized, you know what? What, what the devil's been trying to put in my way that makes me think, oh, well, that will finally bring me peace and happiness. No, it won't. Joseph wouldn't have been happy with his situation. If he had given in to that temptation... If he had given in to his plan instead of just simply doing like he did, letting go and letting God, he bloomed where he planted. You ever heard it? You bloom where you're planted? Yeah. Some of you are in job situations you can't stand. But God's got you right where He wants you. God has you right where He wants you. And the only thing you can do is just begin to say, praise you, Jesus. Yeah. I praise your name. I think I've mentioned this multiple times, but some of you haven't even... 
heard it, and I'll just, I'll just tell you, I think it's pretty incredible how God is working. You know, we look at this house over there. I've prayed over that thing, and, and Pastor Tommy's prayed over it in the past. I didn't even know he had prayed over it before when I was praying over it. This property that's right over here. But you know what's, what's amazing is praying over it and believing that we're going to receive that property. I haven't got it yet. You haven't got it yet. This church hasn't got it yet, right? But just believing that God is going to open the door and that we're believing for God's will to be done. And I know that He's going to work out the plan. And I remember, I, I think it was maybe Calvin that spoke to me, but I'm not 100% sure who it was that called me that day. Calvin or Durlin or somebody had called me. I'd already knew that the property that was for sale, the sign had gotten removed. We were going to have a stab at it. And all of a sudden the sign was removed and it was no longer for sale. We couldn't do it. It was for sale by owner. And I had people asking me and I said, I don't know. I don't know what happened with it. I don't know if they decided not to sell or what. Well, it had sold. The buyers, it was for sale by owner. They had sold it to someone. And so the last like three or four months, it was held up by another buyer. And they didn't give us that opportunity at the time. And that's okay. I remember exactly what happened the day I found out the sign was removed. Now, I'm praying, God, I'm believing you and I'm trusting you and I know what you've already put in my spirit. And I remember exactly what I did. I happened to be in my room when I heard it. And at that moment, it seemed like, God, I feel like this is your plan. Why would it, why is it going down? But I remember exactly what my response was. It was not my fleshly response. It is a response that I've chosen to give to God. It is a response that has become a knee-jerk reaction for me and should be in your life as well. But you don't get it overnight. I, I mean that as a Christian. Some of you will know exactly what I'm saying. You don't necessarily build up this, this knee-jerk reaction overnight that when you hear something negative that seems to be throwing you in the pit as far as your promises are concerned, your, your knee-jerk reaction is not to start praising, your, praising God. But that's exactly what I did. I remember right in my bedroom is where I first heard it. My wife told me. I knelt down and lifted up my hands and I began to praise God. And I began to thank God and praise Him. I did not know His plan and I did not know what was going on with that property. And I just said, God, it is yours, not mine. It is yours. We have to let go and let God. Amen. But do you know now, now, now we're not closed until, not this Monday, but the next Monday. You got a promissory note sitting on the desk in the office. We'll send that off tomorrow. Appraiser came out Friday. The last little piece of the puzzle, appraiser will give us his report Tuesday or Wednesday. And then from there, title work's all done, everything's all done, and here's where that's where we're sitting. Right in that area. But you know, the thing is, is I could have been, I could have said, and this may seem like a little thing, but I could have said, well, man, I must not be hearing from God. Must not be a very good servant. I just choose. I choose to trust God even when the puzzle pieces don't all seem to be together. I choose to trust Him even when I can't see the whole picture. So when I go to fight my Jericho, all I can do is let go. 
and like God. All I can do is just trust that God is already working on the enemy. That the enemy has already been defeated. That the enemy has already been taken care of. All I got to do is walk in the authority, anointing, and power of Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Some of you have gone through different trials. Some of you recently gone through many struggles. And you're looking and you're saying, I don't know why these things have happened to me like they have. I don't know why they're, they're where they, need, they are. But I guarantee you, God's got a plan. If you could just see the whole picture, you'd be standing back in amazement. Now some of you, I'm telling you, I, like I said, it takes practice. And I, I mean that. You say, well, shouldn't it be from your heart, from, from your spirit? You know, it, it's got to be a part of you. It'll become a part of you. But you have to practice this. You have to practice that when you get the bad news, you just begin to praise God anyways. You have to practice it. And it will become a part of your spirit. But the truth is, is you should start making your flesh submit to the spirit. Even when you don't feel like praising, there is nothing wrong. You don't have to feel like praising God. It's no different in marriage. You don't have to feel, you didn't wake up, you know, every single morning of your marriage and feel like you were married to someone and feel like you just absolutely were all goo-goo and everything over them. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't maybe do that every single morning, but see, the, the love that bounds you together when you got married is, is a love that you'll have. See, when you, when you made those wedding vows, you were saying that day, I love you. And when you were looking into your bride's eye, you know, and, and you were, or, or ladies, you were looking into the eyes of your groom, and you were standing there together, and the pastor said all these nice things, and you said, I do. And man, you were just looking. But what your promise was is that I love you right now. And I'm going to commit to love you in the future. That's a tough thing. I don't know how I'm going to feel in the future. I feel like I love you right now. Especially with this pastor here and that beautiful ring. And some of you are like, and I love that rock that's on the ring and all, all these things. And so I feel like I love you today. But love is a commitment. And praise God, Jesus Christ loves you. And when he said, I love you, he wasn't just talking about a feeling he had right then and there. As a matter of fact, his love for you, if you could sum up the feeling he had as he expressed the ultimate love for you, it was agony on a cross. He didn't feel in his flesh love for you, but I guarantee you it was there. Every ounce of love He had for you is what held Him to that cross. Because at any moment, the feelings of His body, which were sheer pain, could have caused Him to call on His Father, to send legions of angels, to deliver Him off that cross and heal Him instantaneously of every single scar. He doesn't have to bear scars on His hands. He doesn't have to bear scars on His feet. He doesn't have to go through eternity with a scar in His side. But He chooses to. Why? Because He loves you. And that love is not just some feeling, but it's a commitment that He's made that He's going to love you. That He's going to love you. Did God love me today when I woke up? He he loved me before I woke up. All the pieces got to be put together. 
And sometimes in our faith, that's the only way we'll walk is when we can see all the puzzle pieces. Can I tell you today that, that you are not living to God's potential in your life and you are not able to minister the gospel until you let go and let God. Until you take that moment where you say, you know what? I don't see all the puzzle pieces, but my faith tells me I'm just going to keep on walking. My faith tells me I'm just going to keep on walking and following. And, and you know what God says? The steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. You can walk in that. You can walk in a peace that if you will just begin to move God's direction, He will begin to move things on your behalf. And when you, on days you wake up, and you just say, you know, I don't feel very much like a Christian today. Is it, am I the only one that ever wakes up that way? Yeah. Some days you wake up, and you say, man, I don't feel very Christian today. But, my faith isn't tied to how this old body feels. My faith is tied to a Savior who's unchanging. That he woke up, he didn't wake up this morning. As a matter of fact, he never sleeps nor slumbers. But every single breath I take, every single move that I'm making and, and working in and everything, I mean, my job, my, my uh, school, my, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can give it to God. You can be sold out to him. Amen? Wow. Let's, uh, would you stand? If you're able, please stand and uh, I want to pray with you. I think some of you are going right now through some trials and you cannot see all the puzzle pieces. And quite frankly, some of you, I'm not praying this over you, but some of you may never see all the puzzle pieces this side of glory. Just maybe not. I hope you do. But maybe not. I remember a song, probably 80s or something. Uh, and it was called Thank You. I thank you for giving to the Lord. Was the was, you know, I don't know the exact name. By Ray Bolts. Thank you. Some of you may remember it, but thank you for giving to the Lord. I was a life that was changed. And it's talking about a man going into heaven and not realizing the impact he made in people's lives. But then all of a sudden, he, he meets someone and they begin to tell him these pieces of a puzzle that he hadn't seen. And then he meets someone else and here's more pieces to the puzzle. I'm believing that in your life, you may be going through something and you don't understand it. But just like Joseph, you can walk in victory even when you're going through the bondage, the prison, the pit. You can just walk in victory. And people around you are going to see it and they're going to see something going on in your life and they're not going to understand how it is that God is able to sustain you and God is able to move through you and God is able to work in your life but they're going to see it in your life. And it's going to be a testimony to people around you. And some of you, the, the miracles that are beginning to happen in your body, God is going to start touching people. 
And people are going to start seeing those miracles and they're going to start realizing that God is at work, that God is mending lives, He's mending marriages, He's healing bodies, He's healing cells inside of bodies and He's causing them to function and work. And some of you are going to see the puzzle pieces coming together even right now. I'm, I believe even today some of those puzzle pieces will come together because your healing will be bought right now right here that Jesus Christ will heal you momentarily that, that I mean he's going to take care of it he's going to literally he's going to restore some lives he's going to some of you are living proof you have seen God restore your life or your marriage or or where you're at you've seen it but some of you are looking and you're still just thinking to myself yeah but it's just so hard to believe what I can't see not until that moment that you just begin to step forward in God. Even in the midst of trouble and trial, it's not until that moment that you release it to God that suddenly He, be- he can begin to start moving on your behalf. That He can begin to start releasing things into your life. And honestly, He can even give you a peace. I want